Colossians chapter 3. Why don't we read them out loud together? Colossians 3, 16 and 17. Read it out loud with me when you find it. I don't know, I don't know if, if you have memories like this, but I remember memorizing this verse. I still remember, I remember memorizing 1 Corinthians 10, 13, which is pretty long, you know. Uh, uh, I don't know why, just some of these scriptures just stay with you, and they ought to. All right, let's say it together, okay? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. All right, so tonight, we're going to talk about this thing called Let the Word of Christ Dwell in You Richly, all right? Now, tonight, we're just going to look at these two verses, and there are five things that I want you to do with that book in your hand. Number one, I want you to let it saturate your life. When Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, make sure it dwells in you richly. It saturates you. Don't be just familiar with it. Don't just sample it. Saturate your life with it. He says, number two, you ought to discover everything in it. I don't believe that we've discovered everything that's in the Bible. That doesn't mean we haven't found all the words, but I have uh, I have a preacher friend that I know that is a very, very, incredibly smart guy. I mean, he has, I think, two degrees, uh, um, uh, university degrees, and he's seen and he's uh, enjoyed studying astronomy and studying physics from the Bible and been able to show certain things that just blow your mind that he says, and I've, uh, I, I've heard uh, other people been able to Say, the way that the universe is laid out is found in Exodus chapter 33 and found in the design of the temple and in the design of a simple tent out in the wilderness called the tabernacle. And the three heavens and the three courts are, are actually amazing. Some people get all hung up on the pyramids and they say the pyramids show the size of the earth and they show the directions and all this stuff. Maybe so, I don't know. But there's stuff yet to be discovered in the Bible. So don't be all put out, well, I've read the Bible. You haven't read anything until you've read through it and you've seen some amazing things. Discover things in it. Number three, you need to teach and admonish with it. Uh, Martin Luther used to say this as he uh, broke away from the Catholic Church and he had thousands of people looking up to him for what do we do now with our children? What do we do with education? He says, we've got to teach the Bible. He says, because education without salvation means damnation. And so he, he instigated in Germany and throughout a lot of Europe, the Bible was the basis for all education for the next 300 years. So teach and admonish with the Word of God. Number four, sing it. Sing it. These verses, these two verses we're looking at tells us to sing the Bible. Number four, five, it says, I said five, but it should be six things. Uh, we should believe it. And then lastly, we should appreciate it. So, let's look at these six things real quick. First of all, I want to settle where are the words of Christ. Now, I don't know if you realize it, but the, the Bible you hold in your hand is not just the Word of God. It is the Word of Jesus Christ. Now, how can that be? Uh, uh, first of all, I want you, how many of you have a red letter edition of the Bible? You know what that is, all right? Where the words of Christ are in red. Most everybody does, and it's a very, 
unique and a wonderful tool to have, but go to first Corinthians, sorry, first Thessalonians. Over to the right, first Thessalonians, maybe just one page, chapter two, verse thirteen. First Thessalonians two thirteen. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because that when ye received the word of who? The word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, ye received it as the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. So they're all the words of God. Now I know I America's filled with all kinds of nuts and fruits and cakes and things. But uh, I met people on the doors where they say, I only believe the words in red. And that bothers me. Okay, because that's not the words in red quoted the words that aren't in red. <laughs> so um, uh, the concept is Paul does not say in Colossians 3.16, let the word of God dwell in you richly, but let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So where's the word of Christ? Well, I'm telling you, the entire book that you hold in your hand, even though we call it the word of the word of God, it is the word of Christ from start to finish. How can you, how can you say that? How can it be that, that Moses wrote something and yet it is the word of Christ? How can it be that Joshua wrote a book and it be the, the word of Christ? How can, how can David write so many things and it be the word of God? Not so God, the word of Christ. Well, it's simple. It's simple. The words of Christ, Jesus Messiah, are contained on every page of your Bible from Genesis 1-1 all the way through Revelation 22-1. How? Because they're the words he wrote. I know we, we say that all scripture is given by inspiration uh, of God, and they, they were inspired by the Spirit of God. But Jesus is called the Word of God. So, the Bible, back in Genesis chapter 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. How did he do it? He spoke it. By the Word were the heavens created. So, the Word is Jesus. So, the very words of your Bible, he takes credit for. Secondly, they are the words that he preached every day. He did not pull out the Gospel of Matthew and preach, did he? What, ver- what words did Jesus preach? The Old Testament. So they're not only the words he wrote, but they're the words he preached. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy were preached by Jesus Christ. And, and as a matter of fact, Matthew 24 says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but God's word will never, never pass away. Is that what it says? But my words shall not pass away. So he elevates his words to who? To God. They're eternal. All right, so let's, we just want to settle that. So it's very important for us to understand when it says, let the words of Christ, and I believe this. I believe whatever Jesus said are precious. They are super special. I take every word of God with, with, with awe. But I love listening to Jesus, don't you? And there's nothing wrong with just enjoying sitting. Remember, as, as Martha and, and Mary, the two sisters, sat, or they, they, they had Jesus and his disciples sitting in their home and, and uh, food was being prepared, Mary just sat there and listened to him teach. Jesus sat himself on a, on a hill uh, up in, in northern Galilee, and he just sat down and began to teach them about the Beatitudes. And 10,000 people gathered around just to soak it in. Nothing wrong with enjoying the words that are particularly the word of Christ. 
But don't get to the idea and don't get the mind of saying, well, I only want to let those words soak into me. No, you need to, you need to enjoy Deuteronomy. Because I find a tremendous amount of, of, listen, the, the, the balance is the Old Testament there always speaks of Christ, always speaks of Christianity. And, the, and you would never know the depth of the Christian life without watching Israel go through the wilderness <laughs> and go, go through hunger and God supply their needs and defeat their enemies. You would never know the depth of the Christian life and the love and the, 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 the life of faith without looking at Israel in the Old Testament and watching God's people. So, um, thirdly, they are all the words of Christ placed on every line exactly as he watered them there. So the words of Christ. Secondly, now, <clears throat> we're going to talk about the, the, well, I say secondly, but it's the first point, and that is let it dwell in you richly. So we go back to Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So when we think of the word richly, we think of like rich chocolate cake or rich people. Oh, there's Kathy going into a um, state of, of, of ecstasy there and chocolate cake. Now, you know, how much of our thoughts, how much of our thinking is filled with what God said? Or is it all stuff we wish we didn't have going on in our head. So it's very important, and I should have brought, I had an illustration uh, taught me when I was a teenager, because I had I had uh, all kinds of rock music and heavy metal rock, and all kinds of, uh, uh, I don't know, words and thoughts and sentences and, and philosophies inside my head. <clears throat> and uh, sitting here, uh, having a, uh, one time a preacher preached in our church, I don't remember who it was, I just remember he had a toilet paper roll. <laughs> Now, I say maybe it was probably a kitchen roll, one of those uh, empty kitchen rolls. And he started to put some yucky um, tissues in there, and they were all yucky and everything. And he says, that's your brain. <laughs> and it's filled with all kinds of goop. And all that stuff in there is going to stay in there until you start putting it in. And he pulled out some clean tissue and started shoving it in clean tissue. And as he put that stuff in there, all the other stuff started falling out the back end there. And he put it in there and he says, you're supposed to fill your mind with good things and right things and holy things and sweet things and pure things. And that's what uh, Philippians 4.8 says. What sort of things are true? What sort of things are honest? What sort of things are pure? What sort of things are just? What sort of things are lovely? What sort of things are good report? If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. So you put the good stuff in and the bad stuff. Now it doesn't all go away. Don't you, don't you get the idea that God will just take away all of those images? What you look at and the gossip you've heard will stay forever in your head. So be careful who you listen to. Be careful what you let your eyes see. We tell kids that it's good for adults too. So richly, I need to, I need to fill this mind and heart of mine with the word of God. Uh, Christ's words are living words. They ought to be alive in you. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than two edged sword. That word quick is the old word for alive. And I prefer quick because that book, you remember, I don't know, you ever, you ever had a, a, a splinter in your hand? And I went to my mom and she says, I gotta pull it out. And she, boom, pull out a pin, a needle or something. And she put a little, uh, she, uh, uh put it on the flame on the hob there. And then she said, I'm going to rip this thing out. And I said, do it quick, do it quick. <laughs> and you know, the word of God, it can quickly fix anybody. It can get in there. It can get down to the quick as well. 
but it's a live book, and you let them live in you, first of all, by, now I didn't put it up here, but we'll start with memorize. Now you mem- need to, how many of you memorize scripture, have memorized scripture? You ought to all raise your hand, because we do it every Sunday, amen? <laughs> but you know, it's just important to memorize scripture, to make sure it sticks. Secondly, you need to meditate on it. And that means you bring it up and you think about it. You think about what does it mean to be a, a, a spiritual house? What does it mean to be, um, uh, you know, a, a son of, a child of God, so on and so forth? Whatever scripture you're meditating on. But there's one thing I didn't put on here, but I, I forgot to mention, and that is, how are you going to memorize or meditate on a book you don't read? So if you're going to, if you're going to get the book in you, you got to get it in you. Very deep. Read it. Or else it'll never affect you for good. That Bible won't do you any good until you're reading it, memorize it, and meditate on it. This is very cool. Go back to chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Three words. In all wisdom. You know the effect of memorizing and meditating the Bible is? You get wisdom. Um, That's why there's not much wisdom today, because nobody's thinking about the Bible. The pastor I got saved and called to preach as Jack Humbert was his name. He's dead now, up in heaven, dancing, running around, singing, shouting, and all that stuff. And uh, Jack Humbert, um, uh, what was my thought there? I had something I thought, oh, it's kind of, what was I going to tell you? I got to thinking about, I miss him. When I first got saved, I just, he was, he was, uh, he was the first guy I ever heard preach the Bible to me, and uh, looked up to him immensely, and I'm trying to think of what I was going to, he, and I just got backtracked thinking about, man, missed him. Anyway, um, uh, I'll think about it. Anyway, the wisdom that's in God's Word, uh, the, the effect of memorizing and meditating on the Bible is you will discover all wisdom, which is a crazy thought. You can learn a lot, even just from your Bibles. You know, you learn a lot of history from your Bible. There are things in the Bible that were that were recorded 3,000 years ago they didn't discover until 100 years ago. There are things in your Bible they won't discover for another, I don't know how long. They are advanced. There are things in there that nobody else recorded in all of history. There are There's geography. There is science. There's medical science in your Bible. There's physics laid out in the Bible. The Bible doesn't tell you that uh, uh, cold things turn hot. Bible says, you know, there's, there's a lot of fun science in there. It says, is there any taste in the white of an egg? <laughs> now, that's true. The Bible never says anything that's false. It's all scientifically accurate there. And you can learn a lot from your Bible. Philosophy. You want to learn the right ways to look at life. Psychology. I know a lot of people pay a lot of money to go to universities and learn psychology, and they don't know the first thing about the human heart. And I got a free education from my Bible. I can tell you what's wrong. It's the heart. And I know how the heart works. Not that I understand everything about it, but I've got stuff that I learn only from the Bible because the Bible exposes what's in the heart. The Bible knows what's in the heart. How about morality? Everybody today says that, you know, uh, it doesn't matter this. <clears throat> and uh, it's just do as you want, do as you please. But listen, my Bible, as I... Learn my Bible, I learn what is absolutely right and what is absolutely wrong, unchanging. You can learn a lot from the Bible. You can learn how to stay in love. You can learn how to raise children. You can learn how to pray from your Bible. 
I don't believe anyone has yet to discover the limits of wisdom that are found only in the Bible. There are, uh, uh, um, there are people throughout history, like this guy named Democritus, Aristotle, Plato, Socrates. These are famous people in history. I've got it better. Listen to um, Psalm 19.8. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoice in the heart. The command of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes, which means, you ever hear the word light bulb, where it goes on? That's where it came from. All of a sudden, your eyes go, I got it, I understand. Matthew 4, 4, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Psalm 119, take your Bible, turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse 97. Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Thou, through thy commandments, has made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my what? For thy testimonies are my meditation. Again, it's what I think about. I understand, and I believe this. You spend all your time trying to memorize your answers for your quizzes and your exams and for those those final tests and everything else, and you spend no time in the Bible, I don't care how successful you are in school, you will be a failure in life. It'd be, it'd be not that you don't study and not that you don't put in the time, but don't neglect your Bible, amen? Don't neglect, because he says this, I have more understanding than all my teachers for thy testimonies. God's words are my meditation, verse 100. I understand even more than the ancients. That's old people, <laughs> because I keep thy precepts. Go down to verse 104. Thou, through thy precepts, sorry, through thy precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. And thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Listen, these guys, uh, they may have some understanding of some things, but they know nothing compared to what I find in my Bible. So what do I do with the word of Christ? I let it dwell in me richly. Why? So I learn from it. So that I draw what I need. We are, we are a three-part being. One part of us is physical and we, we, we need to eat. We need to sleep. We've got to have the right balance of foods and things. There's a part of you that's invisible that needs that Bible. And you know what your soul looks like when you go for weeks without reading the Bible? When you spend no time putting, uh, 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 putting effort into listening to the preacher and living by what the Bible says, when your soul is not feeding on the Word of God, you know what you look like on the inside if I had an x-ray? A raisin. A prune. <laughs> you're dried up. You're, you're dying. So that book will give, you, will, will give you what you need to thrive as a Christian. So discover all the wisdom in it. Thirdly, Teach and admonish each other with these words. Back there in Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Too many people try and teach using all the wisdom of the world. And by the way, that's constantly changing. All the fickle wisdom of Hollywood. (laughs) If you could mix that word wisdom and Hollywood together, I don't know how. Uh, the vain, the vain wisdom of popular opinions. Uh, I found that it's no longer important to learn morals. 
Oh, I remember what I was going to tell you about <laughs> Jack Humbert. When he was growing up, do you know what? His dad, he grew up in, a, in an agnostic home. But he grew up in a day and age where everybody read the Bible. And all his years growing up, every single evening, his dad would sit down with the paper. His dad never read the Bible one day in his life. Uh, since he was a child, but he made his children read the Bible. He made them read one chapter a night. So by the time that Jack Humbert got saved at about 48 or 49 years old, when he got saved, he later became a pastor, became my pastor, so on and so forth, went off to Bible college, so on and whatever. The point being, for 20 years of his life, he read the Bible through four times, being an unbeliever. You know, countries are built on Bible knowledge. Because when people know the Bible and somebody stands up and preaches it, all of a sudden they go, yeah, he's right. And they get saved. The reason why people don't get saved today is because nobody knows anything about the Bible. So let it never be said of a Christian that we're not reading the Bible. That You say, well, I don't get anything out of it. Read it anyway. Because one day, preaching was Dan Knickerbocker or Dan Everly. Somebody preaching, and the word that you've read will come alive. And the Holy Spirit will breathe on it, and like a flame, you go, yes! Anyway, back to my thing. <laughs> Back to this thing, um, uh, it's no longer important in schools and, and, and homes to teach morals. People don't even learn actual history anymore. You know what people worry about? Empowering children. Empowering children? Children, children do not be, uh, need to be given value and power and authority. You know what they need? They need to learn what's right. They need to learn that, that they're loved by God. They need to learn that there is a life and then it's over and they better, they better live right because one day they're going to face God. When, when you take out all that and you just say, you're the best. And there's nothing wrong with saying that. But when that's all you say, they're never going to listen to somebody tell them, you're a sinner. You get what I'm saying? So, uh, we as Christians are to teach and encourage one another with what words? The word of Christ, with the word of, the, of God there. First Thessalonians 4.18, if you go over there, chapter 4.18, you ought to, you ought to circle this verse. First Thessalonians 4.18, wherefore, comfort one another with, with these words. Hey, when was the last time, uh, you, you sat down and instead of going, well, I need some, I need some comfort, so I'm going to uh, uh, sit down and watch 18 hours of television and binge. Listen, this book right here will give you better comfort than any bottle or pill or, or um, counselor session, even though you may have to have something. This book can comfort you. These are the words that, that help like nothing else. Great peace have they which love thy law. Nothing offend them. Like, I like this. Micah 2.7 says, O thou that art named the house of Jacob, is the spirit of the Lord straightened, which means hindered? Are these his doings? And then he says these words. Listen to these. Do not my words do good to him that walketh uprightly? Don't my, don't my words help you? Now here's a great and important concept. We talk about teaching. Uh, we have a Sunday school, children's church. We have church. I'm teaching. But there's a balance where you just teach and you move over and say, I need to admonish too. And admonish 
is more than encouragement. It means to warn. Uh, back, go back a page there, Colossians chapter 1 verse 28. Colossians 1.28 says, Whom we preach, we preach Jesus Christ. What's the first word he uses? Warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. So admonish, to admonish is what your neighbor used to do. When you found yourself and you were playing in his garden and he says, you said, and he admonished you that he was going to get you in trouble if you didn't get off his land, amen, or his, his grass. Uh, to admonish is to warn or correct somebody. None of us like that. Uh, I know, I know our church, uh, the kind of church that we have is never going to be the most popular church. I think we can still have revival. I think we still have a great, a great awakening, but we'll never be popular where people love the preaching. They'll love Jesus because true preaching encourages and admonishes. Uh, the Bible says in, in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, it says, um, uh, preach the word, be instant in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering. Preach the word, and sometimes you got to tell people they're doing wrong. Now, if that's all you do, then you're a Pharisee. If that's all you do, you're out of balance. You need to encourage too. But it's very important to admonish. I'll give you an illustration of it in just a moment. So, here's the point. When you read your Bible, you're not just reading history and reading words. You're reading consequences. Did Israel experience the consequences of pride? Did they experience consequences of idolatry? Did they experience consequences of lust? Did they experience consequences of ignoring God? Not just rejecting Him, but ignoring so you're reading consequences. And that's a good thing to be aware of. It ought to cause us to fear when we read our Bible. You ought to read your Bible and go, whoo, I don't want that to happen to me. So you better allow this preacher. You better allow your parents. You better allow a good friend to sometimes open the Bible and say, mm, you need to get right. Now, we don't need the ministry of correction in church, all right? Nobody's called to, to go around and correct everybody. Do you understand what I'm saying? We don't need Patrick here. Now, Patrick, you're not doing it. But let's imagine Patrick says, I've been called by God to correct everybody. No, you're not, okay? Um, so don't get the idea that I've just got to go, I got to go fix, I got to go fix Brother Darren, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. he's got some problems here, right? <laughs> but you know, if Brother Darren's got a good friend, that good friend, friend will, if he sees something or... And uh, in, in, in says, you know, brother Darren, you're 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 driving in the middle of the road too often. No, whatever. But if you want to live, you need to drive on the left side of the road. So uh, admonish one another, warn one another, and that's 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 just as spiritual as encouragement. It is important that we teach and admonishing admonish one another. Brother Tony, when he's up there teaching, brother Darren is teaching, brother Paul's teaching and preaching at Twelve Weeks to Freedom. Not only are they teaching how to be free, but they're admonishing, don't go back. Don't go back to the drink. Don't go back to the old friends because they'll, they'll, they'll defeat you. They'll discourage you. So there's admonishing along with the teaching and preaching. A lot of you know that, but it's just good to remind you. Go back to Colossians because I want to get to the good points here. 316, teaching and admonishing one another in songs. 
Even the music we listen to, it should be balanced where it lifts us up and encourages us, and it's good to hear a song that convicts us. There are some powerful songs. I mean, Nita and I have some songs about souls that just when you listen to it, I can't, the Marshall family sings one of those songs that it's just, just, it's just, just like a knife in the heart. You just go, oh, you gotta go soul with it. Cause it's admonishing us to keep concern for souls. So the music that we listen to, so let's talk about that music for a minute, because we should be singing the word. You should be singing the word. Now, publicly singing, look what he says here. Let's read it. It says, let the word of Christ, we're talking about the word now, dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. You're not doing it in the privacy of your own home, in some room, uh, by yourself. It says you're doing it to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So sing the word of the Lord to one another. There are examples of singing in Scripture. The angels of God sang when God created the universe. I think that's cool. When, when God said, let there be light, I mean, all the angels went, <laughs> and they just sang. Moses sang a song of praise after they fled from Egypt and they went across the, the Red Sea on dry land. He felt like singing. And his sister Miriam, as, as Moses finished one course, uh, Miriam sang another verse and they sang back and forth. Deborah, <laughs> when uh, Sisera was killed, how many remember how Sisera died? Isn't that a cool story? I mean, that woman, what was her name? J.L. J.L., she's she's not even, she, I don't know, she's not very spiritual, but boy, she knew how to handle a hammer. And so Sisera was an evil king, and he's running from uh, 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 Barak, what was the name of that that general there? And uh, as, he flee, as he flees from Israel's army, and he comes into her tent, she says, here, hide here, here, lay down here. And she piles on all the blankets to make him very warm, gives him some warm milk. And boy, you know what milk does when you're tired? Put you to sleep like a baby. He's sleeping. She goes out to the tent, pulls up a one foot long stake, tent stake, placed it right on his temple, and whack! Throw that into the, down into the ground. That's in your Bible, amen? <laughs> Throw that in there, and he never moved again. And when she came out of there and Deborah heard about it, Deborah said, Woo, what a good woman that is. And she sang a song. Deborah the prophetess sang a song about JL. You know, your Bible's filled with songs. King David wrote a whole bunch of the psalms. He played the harp. He wrote so many psalms to be sung. You know, Lord Jesus, after they had the Last Supper, you know what, Jesus, he could have been very depressed. He's going off to death. You know what he did with his disciples? He sang a hymn. He sang. You know what Paul and Silas were doing in prison at midnight when their whelps and their lashes were, were, were oozing with pus and with um, uh, uh, ache and with infection. You know what they were doing? Singing. It's good to good to have a reason to sing. So there are three kinds of music in the kingdom of God. Now it's kind of funny in the world. You've got hundreds of genres. I, I started. I looked these up. You can look at Wikipedia. You can find anything. There's about 118 different genres of music, like baroque, big band, bluegrass, blues, and bop. Chamber music, chanting, choral, Christmas, classical country, disco, dubstep. I don't know what dubstep is, but dubstep, is that in Dublin? Easy listening, electronic, 
There's exercise music for all you ladies out there. There's funk music, German folk, gospel music, contemporary gospel, southern gospel. There's goth and gothic rock, grunge music. I don't want to listen to that. Uh, hip-hop, honky-tonk, jazz, and jungle music. There's lounge music and lullabies and medieval and metal and new wave and opera and orchestral and polka music. I didn't know that was still around. Uh, praise and worship, rap music, renaissance, rock music, progressive rock, punk rock, soul, swing, and techno. Those are the only ones I wanted to print. <laughs> you know what God boils it down to? Three of them. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, the Psalms, you have 150 of them in your Bible. They're songs for the believer. Hymns are, uh, let me just talk about Psalms for a minute. Uh, Psalms are, are the words that David and Asaph and Solomon and even Moses, you want to read two Psalms that Moses wrote, they are Psalm 90 and 91, were written by Moses. Those are, those are songs to be sung by God's people. Hymns, they're actually, there are 100 thousand plus hymns, both ancient and modern. A hymn is a spirit, is a simple song from the Bible, written in simple meter for, in, for congregations to sing in praise to God. Hymns put the words and the truths of scripture into songs. Now, psalms are scripture, but hymns take a truth of scripture, maybe from Genesis, maybe from Joshua, or maybe from Matthew, and it puts it to song, a great truth. A lot of times you'll find in hymns, you'll find exact phrases of Scripture. How about, I know not why my, uh, let's see, I know whom I have believed. How does it start off? I know not God's wondrous grace to me he hath made known, nor why unworthy Christ in love redeemed me for his own. That's a hymn. And then it brings in actual verse of Scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 1. But I know whom I have believed, word for word, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I committed unto him against that day. So the hymn is sitting there teaching the truth about how secure we are in Christ, and it quotes a whole portion of Scripture. That's how a hymn works. They emphasize, folks... Hymns emphasize biblical truth more than personal feelings. They emphasize the voice of the singer instead of the music. And uh, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I, I had a debate with somebody very brief, and they said, Jesus' disciples sang only psalms. And I went, no, they didn't. Because in the Bible, the word is hymn. And even in the Greek, the word is hymn, not psalm. But they want to just, anyway, some people are really stuck in the mud. Uh, and then there's this third group called spiritual songs. And this is where we get a lot of crazy uh, unlimits and stuff. But spiritual just simply means it's not fleshly. It's not carnal. It's not, it is not wrong with enjoying music. But it's different than nightclub music. Is it, can you imagine, let's just go down to the corner nightclub. Let's just go down into the oral house tonight. And let's put on somebody singing a psalm. Or let's put on some hymns. You'll clear the pub out, amen? Everybody will go home within 15 minutes. So it's different. A spiritual song is different. Now you put some of the songs that are on 93.1, you put some spiritual, some of the modern, quote, spiritual songs on there, they wouldn't know the difference. I like clear difference. Folks, musical styles are not neutral. 
Somebody once said this, and I believe it. If a musical style doesn't matter, it's just the words. Just put words about Jesus in there. And I've been in churches when I was not a Christian. I was 14 years old. It was one of the last times I ever went to church. I was in a charismatic church. And in the church, a guy got up, and he had his guitar, bass guitar, and he put Christian words to a Beatles song. I don't know if you know this song, and I'm sorry for defiling you. But he went, he loves me, yeah, yeah, yeah. He loves me, yeah, yeah. I was 14 years old. I had the Beatles records. I wish I had them now so I could sell them and make a fortune for them because they were all, I, I probably, I broke them all then. I'm glad I did. But my point is, I had all the Beatles records and I went, how dare he take a Beatles song and try to put Christian words to it? It ruined it. And it didn't make me want to worship God any. And the point being that if music style doesn't matter, then that would mean the devil hasn't had his hand in music, hasn't defiled music yet. And he has. So music style matters. And somebody says, well, Craig, you're too conservative. I don't mind being said that because I'd rather be uh, erring on the side of conservatism and caution than playing with the devil's music and find out at the judgment seat of Christ, I crossed a lot of lines. Uh, every song that a Christian listens to ought to be checked that is it spiritual or is it carnal? Um, I think you ought to be very careful what you listen to in your car. Amen. I think your house ought to be filled with Christian music. See, I don't have any Christian music. Get some. Download solidly conservative Christian music. Listen to my program on a Sunday tonight at from uh, from 8 until 9, and you'll hear some good Christian music. you hear the background of the thing. Fridays is when it's live. But, but you need to have spiritual songs and hymns and psalms. And sing it from your heart. I'm glad we don't, we don't perform in our church. I'm glad when people get up and they sing, it's a joyful noise sometimes. Amen? I don't want to get to a place in a church or a church where we have a big spotlight, all the lights go off and the spotlight's on the singer. That's not Christian. It's not right at all. Um, now how do you sing? You sing with grace. You sing from your heart. You sing songs that encourage and, and even convict lost women and, and men. In the old days, over in America, over in England, in Wales, and Scotland, and Germany, people would gather sometimes at the craziest hours because everybody worked hard uh, on the farms, and so they would meet at 9 p.m., and the moon would be out, and they'd go, and the singing at a meeting where the preaching hadn't even begun, the singing would be convicting. People would hear the song and it would grip them and they would already be broken. So when the preacher got up and he preached from the Bible, people were ready to get saved. People were ready to get right. People were hugging and, and falling all over each other saying, I'm sorry. Songs ought to convict as much as they encourage. How do you sing? With musical instruments, by the way. There's a, always a battle between Christians on whether it should be with musical instruments, but it's kind of dumb. Uh, to have, you don't have to sing with musical instruments, but to have a musical instrument is not wrong. Psalm 33 says this, Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous. I mean, you're singing psalms. Guess what you're singing? You're singing these words. Listen to these words in Psalm 33. Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. It's beautiful. So praise the Lord with harp. 
Can you imagine? <laughs> we cannot use instruments in our church. Let's sing Psalm 33. Praise the Lord with the harp. But we can't use the harp. You see, you can't do that. It's okay to have a musical instrument. I draw the line, and anything has a percussion instrument, has a beat. Even a bass guitar is a bother to me because it reverberates with the chest. It's not just a musical instrument. It's, it's actually for carnal stuff. Psalm 92 says, It's a good thing to give thanks in the Lord and to sing praises unto thy name, O Most High, to show forth thy loving kindness in the morning and thy faithfulness every night upon an instrument of ten strings. What book did I get that from? Psalms. And what's, what book should I sing from? Psalms. <laughs> anyway, let me finish up. Christian music ought to be the best of the world. Listen to Psalm 66, verse 2. Sing forth the honor of his name. Make his praise glorious. So if you ever get a chance to sing, you ever get up and you sing in the choir, which I encourage you to do, make it glorious. Our music ought to be, ought, ought to be the best. Not that we have the best instruments or the best voices, but it ought to have the most joy and the most heart and the most passion to it. All right. Two more things. Believe your word. You know, back there in Colossians 3, it says, And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. What does that mean? That means to do everything we do by faith. Not by your own abilities, but by believing what God said. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. That means do everything in the name of Jesus. Well, what does that mean? It means do it in the authority of Jesus as the Messiah. Now, I'm glad, you know what? We meet here today, and the government lets us. But we don't meet here under the authority of the government. We meet here under the authority of Jesus Christ. That's the thing that... We do it because Jesus said do it. We don't do it. You know why most people send their kids to school? Does anybody know why most people send their kids to school? Do you know why? Because the government says you have to. Do you know why most people don't go to church? Because the government doesn't say they have to. Do you know why I'm supposed to do anything? Because Jesus said I have to. That's doing everything I do in his name. I do it in his authority, and I do it in his power. <laughs> Here goes um, Kathy. She's going to sit or stand in front of those kids there looking at her, and they're going to be throwing spit wads at her and paper and, and running around and doing the uh, Cowboys and the Indians. Dan will finish preaching and come in there and Kathy will be all wrapped up in duct tape. <laughs> do you know, if you're going to do everything, it says whatsoever you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus means do it in his strength. Just do it by his help. Name me something you can do in the name of Jesus. Name me something. You can pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. What else? Do What? You can eat in the name of Jesus. Amen. <laughs> That's why you ought to give thanks when you do. What else? What? Breathe? I can't hear him. Drink. Okay. Depends on what you're drinking. But yes. <laughs> what else? You can work in the name of the Lord Jesus. You know, you can go out soul winning. You can get married in the name of the Lord Jesus. Can you live together in the name of the Lord Jesus? Can you watch filth on TV in the name of the Lord Jesus? Can you lie, steal? Can you cheat? Can you listen to gossip? Next time somebody comes up and says, Oh, Darren, Darren, let me tell you about, let me tell you about John. 
Just say, let me pray. Lord Jesus, now receive these words he's about to give us in your name. As we listen, may it honor and glorify you. They'll be gone. They'll be gone. So there are plenty of things you can't do in Jesus' name, and that's a good limit. Let's do the last one. Appreciate. Appreciate the word of God. Uh, He says there in verse 17, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then he says, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. So just like Nike, you ought to do one thing. Just do it. Just be thankful. Just get in the habit of being thankful. Go back one one book or two books to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 20. Ephesians 5, 20. Trying to finish. I know you're wearing out here tonight, but I thought this was good. We're just going to finish here. Ephesians 5.20 says, giving thanks always. Next three words, say them with me real carefully. For all things. You ever tried to do that? Dan, you ever tried that? It's hard. And yet, just do it. For all things. Go back to Colossians now. Giving thanks to God and the Father by by Him. You know, we get the idea, well, I'll just be thankful, and then we don't think about what to be thankful for. Well, let me tell you, you should be thankful for everything, but you ought to also be thankful in and through everything. Go to the right now, one page, or or one book, to 1 Thessalonians 5.18. 5.18. You know, a little preposition, a two-letter word is very painful. Even when you're in the worst of situations, in that situation, still give thanks. In everything, give thanks. What can we be thankful for? I think we can be thankful for having a Bible. How many of you would like to be in Thailand trying to read a Thai Bible? <laughs> Go away. You have a Bible in English, and yeah, it's the King's English, but isn't it wonderful learning how to read it? Uh... What can you be thankful for? We can be thankful for the effect the Bible had on us. You know, a lot of people don't let the Bible have any effect on them. Aren't you glad you let it work? What can we be thankful for? Uh, For the power over sin and over Satan. Do you realize you have power? You cannot, you're, you're not free from Satan. But when he shows up, you have power. Bible says, submit yourself to God and you can then resist the devil and he will what? Hallelujah. That ought to make you thankful. I have been given the power over sin. Does sin now control me? Yes or no? No. If there's sin in my life, it's because I want it. It's because I just refuse to walk away from it and look unto Christ and say, Lord, I want to do your will. So I am, I have, I ought to be grateful that I have power over sin. It's not my own power. So it's the blood of Jesus Christ. How else can we be thankful for? For all the promises that are in that book. I mean, if there was, if I never got another penny in life, I have enough to be thankful for in my Bible. So on. Appreciate the word. <clears throat> all right. What do we do with the word in our hand? Let it saturate, saturate our life. Start there. You're not going to enjoy any of the rest of the thoughts that I gave you unless that book's been taken in four, five, six chapters a day. What do I say? Four, five, six chapters a day. Well, I missed yesterday. We'll read four, five, six chapters today. You say, well, I'm just, I don't care what you have to go through. That Bible will make your life. 
You ought to write in the front of your Bible, this Bible will keep me from sin, or sin will keep me from this Bible. If you want to have a life, if you want to, ten years from now, be able to look back and say, what a ride. It's been a blessing. Make this book something that is saturated in your life. Discover everything. There ought to be things you're discovering I haven't seen yet. God, I, I don't have a, I don't have a, a, a magic access to secret wisdom that you don't have. The same Holy Spirit that teaches me teaches you. And a lot of times, it's absolutely wonderful to be around some young Christian who comes up and says, did you ever see this verse? And I go, I've read my Bible through so many times, I have never noticed that. Amen. Discover what's in the wisdom in the Bible. Teach and admonish with it. I'm glad, you know, I, I, uh, Brother Dan, you'll never have a problem figuring out what to preach. You know why? Because it's just one book. Amen. Now, maybe you're struggling with which particular, but you never have to move to another source. You know, when you're teaching your kids, it's just from the Bible. When you're you're teaching in in children's church, it's just teach and admonish with the Bible. If you realize how powerful that book is, you realize that when you're giving the gospel to somebody, you're teaching them. And the Bible says, faith cometh by hearing the Bible. So teach it. Warn people. Say, but the Bible says. I like, uh, you ought to ask Tony about his experience over with some men there a couple weeks ago. Everybody said his opinion about something. Tony says, I don't have an opinion on it. I just know what the Bible says. <laughs> Amen. You can teach and admonish with it. Number four, sing it. Amen. I mean, we ought to sing scripture, and sometimes we do. I think we ought to increase our repertoire of psalms and, and, and uh, scriptures. Believe it, and then appreciate it. That kept the first century churches going, folks. They had no money. They didn't have conferences and, and seminars and, 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 and online courses. You know what they had? Bits and pieces of the Bible, and they treasured it. You have the whole book. Make sure you and I do too. Father, I pray that you bless these thoughts tonight. That we would take it very seriously. We would let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly and in all wisdom. And then we would teach and admonish one another using psalms and hymns and spiritual songs even. And sing with melody in, our hearts, melody in our hearts to the Lord and always giving thanks. Always doing it by faith. Christian life is awesome. <clears throat> it can be encapsulated in two verses. It can be so encouraging. Lord, I pray that you bless your people tonight with, with a desire <clears throat> this book would, I know we have to be reminded, but it would just still be the focus of every day. I've got to read my Bible. I've got to read my Bible. I've got to read it. I've got to memorize it. I've got to meditate on it. I've got to let it saturate me or else I'm going to go crazy. Help us all to take it very seriously now. In Jesus' name.